Good morning. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God in here. These are the words of God. That is uh, quite a statement, really, um, with lots of implications. And figuring out what it means and how we should respond is quite, quite a significant thing. This is the Word of God. And um, there's a, I'll tell you a story from history, which kind of can provide a bit of warning. It's a story that is recorded in this book. Um, and uh, the king in Judah, in Jerusalem, was Josiah at the time. And uh, he's only 26, but he had been king for 16 years already. So he'd been king since he was eight years old. And uh, there's this story where he kind of just sent a secretary of some kind, a guy called Shaphan, to the high priest, called, who was called Hilkiah at the time, to just sort out some financial matters to do with the, some building work that they were doing on the temple at the time. He just sent him to kind of do this little errand. Uh, and then there's this story, which is recorded in, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22. I'll put it up on the screen. Just uh, a short little account, which provides a bit of a warning for us. So it says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, so Shaphan had been sent to Hilkiah, and Hilkiah said, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him and gave the kind of important information that he had been told. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king this little detail. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. So Josiah is devastated that this book, he didn't even really know about it. This is the book of the, this is basically the Bible. It's essentially the, the Bible. And he didn't even know it existed, really. It's, it's been missing. They have been missing the word of God to the people of God. And he can't, he can't believe it. How on earth has that happened? How has it got lost and have they even forgotten that it ever existed? And that is the question. How can that happen? And the short answer is not overnight. That doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes a process to get to that point where you've totally forgotten about the word of God. So I think it starts, you're kind of just not using it much, not reading it much, not referring to it much. Then... In time, it just gets a bit dusty, having not used it. Then you tidy it away, because it's just taken up space. And then, before you know it, you've totally forgotten it ever existed. And the point is, and the warning there, is that we are not immune to that. We're not immune in our day. That is individually and corporately, both literally and metaphorically, to get into a place where we might as well have forgotten that the Word of God ever existed. Actually, I'd say that we are far from immune in, in our modern world. We've got to make, make sure to take steps that that does not happen in, in our lives, literally or metaphorically. 
I think we, it is at least as tempting as ever for that to be the case today in the, in the world that we live in. There is an overload of information in our world to, and, and things to build our lives upon, the, the, an overload of opinions, and it is at least as easy as ever, if not easier than ever, for the Word of God to take a back seat. You can, um, you can, compare, you can think about it like this. You can compare how we tend to consume information or opinions with like an unhealthy food diet. And I've kind of talked about this before. Um, so unhealthy eating is overeating, right? You get that? Eat too much, that's not good for you. Unhealthy eating is overeating, and I think that in our world, we can overeat information, consume from every angle, and just take a bit of everything from everywhere. But overeating is not good for you, and it will make you sick. Unhealthy eating is also eating too quickly, eating too fast. You eat too quick, it's not going to do you any good. I'm telling my kids that all the time. Slow down, it's not a race. We, we, want, we want a quick sound bite. We want a little tweet, a little social media post, a blog at best. That's like the longest we're willing to read or to consume. Actually, fast food is not the healthiest food. Unhealthy eating also tends to be when you only ever eat whatever you like. Just eating the tastiest stuff, the stuff that you like, is not the makeup of a healthy diet. And there's enough opinions, there's enough so-called experts out in the world to you, for you to find one that you like. I like this one. I'll eat that. I'll just eat that stuff. Rather than thinking about what is best for you, what is true, the tastiest foods don't often produce the healthiest diets. So we can overeat, I think, with information. We can eat too quickly, just want it quick, whatever, and we eat whatever we like. All of that, I think, makes us more vulnerable to going through that process where we get to where Josiah had got to and the people of Israel, where you've effectively forgotten, hang on, there's something else that I should be eating from, where we literally or effectively forget that we have the word of God. Last week here at uh, Grace Church, we started our new series looking at our core values as a church. Uh, and they're important things. You want to kind of get to know us as a church, it's important to say it. Often, but certainly through this series, catch up if you missed it. You can get online, go to our website, you can find them, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And this week we are talking about the Bible, talking about the Word. What we, that is, as Grace Church, believe about this book. And it will become clear, if it's not already, why we are talking about this on week two of our core values. Why Why it is so important to us and a big part of my goal this morning is for you to at least understand that Grace Church values the word of God highly and then talk I'll go into how we look to prize it and value it and not forget it and then how you can prize it in your own life how you can value this word another part of my goal this morning is to help you to want to to prize this book we believe what it says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, we believe this to be true, that says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
believing that to be thoroughly true is quite something. It's quite a statement of belief. And to summarize it as, as simply as possible, we could simply say, as, as I've already done, that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That is what we believe, is the Word of God. And I'm going to take that little phrase, that tiny little phrase, and that summary, uh, and break it down to try and summarize what we believe um, about the Bible. And uh, might get a bit technical at times, I, I, I will try and, and not do that, uh, make it as helpful and, and uh, clear as possible. So firstly, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. That means that we believe what this book says, what the scripture says, God says. It's a huge claim. So when we read this book, we are reading the words of God. So it's not just inspiring. You may have found this book to be inspiring before, as billions of people have through history. And it is, but it's not just that. It's also inspired. It is the inspired word of God. God spoke this universe into existence. He spoke and and the universe existed. And you could say the same. God spoke and breathed these words into existence. They are his words. Briefly on why I believe that, which is again a huge claim and I can't go into loads of it uh, other than to just kind of take it at face value. That is what uh, we believe and I believe. Um, But I am conscious in it, I'm using the Bible to prove what the Bible says about the Bible, if you can follow that, um, and, and that, that may be kind of difficult. And our, reality is faith is key to it. I don't want to kind of pretend it's not. To believe it takes a degree of faith. But actually, it is also, I believe, this Bible is the word of God because Jesus believes it, because that, that was how Jesus taught and, and spoke, and I believe Jesus is God. I believe he's proven that by dying and then rising again back from the grave uh, and never dying again. And so if Jesus thinks this is the word of God and he's God-breathed, then, then I think that. For example, and you could take a bunch of them, Matthew 19, 4, four to 5. Don't need to turn there, but you can. Um, Jesus is debating with the Pharisees. And then he just says this, this comment. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning... The creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Very important scripture for a number of reasons. But, but one of the things is, if you notice the detail, it says, Jesus says, at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said. So Jesus says, the create God said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. And then, but if you were to go to Genesis 2, which is where that, is, that story is coming from uh, and that narrative, you would see actually it was the narrator who said that. It was the writer of the Bible who said it and not God who said for this reason. But Jesus is saying that whatever the narrator says, whatever the writer says in the Bible is what the creator says, is what God says. There's Jesus interpreting the Bible as God's word. So yes, it can get complicated. I'm happy to talk more about that. The Bible was penned, was written down by real human authors, just 
just people like you and I, but they were divinely inspired. I think even Judith said it earlier, and she was, she was reading from the book of John and said, and John said, quite rightly, John wrote the book of John, and God wrote the book of John. The human authors inspired by God. You can think of the Bible like a symphony orchestra, and each, each writer is a musician who is willingly and creatively playing their instrument, doing it just as the conductor has desired. And they're playing it in harmony with all the other instruments, but the, the individual musician is focused on their own role, on their own instrument, and it's only the conductor who is worrying about the great output of the piece of music and the final output. Just so with the, with the writers of the Bible, they're writing their own bit, but God is writing the whole scripture together and playing that, adding that piece into the great symphony. How we understand and interpret the Bible is very important. And uh, we, in doing that, we need to be conscious of both, that there is a human author and there is a divine author. And uh, probably for another day to go into those details in remembering In interpreting the Bible, in understanding what it means, we remember it is the word of God. So that also means that we believe the Bible is is unfailing and true. It is, for some technical words, infallible and inerrant. It's unfailing and true. And those two things imply one another, but they are slightly distinct from one another. Unfailing means that the Bible is reliable and it makes good on its claims. It accomplishes its purpose in in every way. So if there is a promise in there, and there are a whole load of promises, then that promise will come true. It will be fulfilled. The word of God is unfailing. And it is true in that it is free of error of any kind. It is uh, free of any factual or moral or spiritual error. And when it appears to contradict or, or... the application appears damaging, as it sometimes may do. Either it's actually the case that it only appears to be damaging, but we are wrong in in our understanding, and it's actually not. Or we have just misunderstood what God meant meant through it. We've misinterpreted it. So it doesn't mean, by the way, when we say the word of God, um, it, it is the word of God, it doesn't mean that we interpret it literally all of the time. We do consider it to be the word of God, but but it's a book that is full of poetry um, and metaphor. And so, I mean, interpret it literally at your peril uh, and you'll find some strange things in there uh, in the way you understand it. I actually saw just this morning um, AI, you know, AI images can do some weird things these days. And uh, someone had generated an AI image um, and they'd taken the little phrase, uh, Jesus flipped over the the tables in the temple courts and they created an image of Jesus doing a flip over the tables in a temple course. I mean, that would, you could say that was interpreting it literally. Um, but there we are. You've got to be careful in how we interpret. We believe at Grace Church that what the scripture says, God says. And therefore it's unfailing. And it is true. And we believe as well that it is the word of God. With this Bible... We are thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. That is to say that we consider this book to be the ultimate authority in everything that we do. I am under its authority. I live like this. I live with this word above my head. And, and in everything I do, I want my entire life, so not just my ministry and all of Grace Church, I want everything I do to be under this, subject to the authority of this book. And it is not just authoritative, but it is actually it is sufficient as well, which is to say that we dare not add to it. We are uh, at Grace Church, we're, we're reformed in our thinking. We believe sola scriptura. This is our only ultimate source of authority and it is fully sufficient. And that's not to say that other forms of authority don't exist, but the Bible is not working alongside or in competition with any other authority. Because other forms of authority uh, that some other Christians might add to scripture and even promote above it, they tend to be tradition or history, really, experience and reason. So Catholics would agree with what we're saying about the authority of Scripture. I believe that what the, they believe that what the Scripture says, God says, but they would not agree that it is sufficient. And uh, they would hold up that church tradition. So history is necessary alongside Scripture to understand how to live under the authority of God. Probably hold that as, as superior with the, how they believe things uh, about the Pope and others. Some others may consider experience to be ultimate. Uh, some liberal Christians may, perhaps some charismatics may think that way. Ultimately, if it works, do it. If that's your experience, if it works, then go for it. That is the ultimate thing. Liberal scholars in particular would promote reason above everything else, whereby the scriptures are helpful um, but we might consider them not to add up all the time and we need to figure that out. They're not inerrant in any way, would be some perspective. Now you might assume that we just go around and you think, okay, well we just put scripture on top uh, and, and that's where we're at. Yes, everything else is under it and subject to scripture, but actually it'd be, I'd say, more accurate to think of scripture covering all of them. We believe that the word of God thoroughly equips us for every good work. It is the word of God. That's not to say that the others are insignificant or that they're irrelevant by any means. We are charismatics at Grace Church. Steve is going to talk about that later on in the series, looking at what it means for us to believe in the spirit and the gift of the spirit for today. Ultimately, we believe that because we are reformed, because we are evangelical and we get there from the scriptures, but it is always subject to scripture. So if it works, do it, is not enough for us. Is it biblical, is the great question. We believe in logic and reason, and I I think that everything that we believe is reasonable, but when it seems to not add up, and we think, oh, I can't see how that's right, then I was, well, let's just say God's right and we're wrong. We haven't quite reasoned it out yet. That's subject to Scripture. And uh, church tradition is important. I think if the church has believed something for 2,000 years, 
then it's most likely that God has ordained that to be the case and we should take that seriously. Um, but it is always subject to scripture, underneath scripture. How are we doing? I see it's a bit technical. It's a gift, I believe. We're getting there. We believe it is the word of God. We believe it is the word of God. And, he, and we believe it is the word of God. It is useful for all kinds of things. That's to say that the word of God is meant to evoke a response in the reader. You, you know when someone says to you, can I just have a word? Just have a word with you. Now I appreciate that kind of tends to have negative connotations. You're not generally excited about that. Um, but, but you get the point. If someone says, okay, come and have a word, and you kind of sidle over, and they just say what it is they're ever, you know. You don't tend to just listen, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. wait for them to finish, and just say, thanks, can I go back to what I was doing now? It, it tends to, they're looking for a response, right? Someone wants to have a word with you, they want you to do something on the back of that word, whatever it might be. The Bible is God saying, I have a word for you. <laughs> I have a word for you. It is for you. It is to you. It is not irrelevant. It is looking to evoke a response. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, uh, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It wasn't just God's word then when it was written, it's God's word now. It is not static, it is dynamic and alive. Another way to put it is to say that the word of God is God preaching. It is God preaching. There are a lot of good preachers out there. <laughs> you don't say anything. Don't say anything. There's some bad ones too. <laughs> Definitely don't say anything. This is God preaching. This is God preaching. God is a good one. And it is to evoke, evoke a response, sometimes corporately, sometimes individually, often both at the same time. Always with the help of the Spirit working through us. It is him who evokes the response in us. We believe it is, this Bible is the word of God. One more thing to add. We believe that the word of God is good. I'm conscious, it can all sound, sound a bit ranty, all of this. This is what we believe, word of God. Come on, do better, use it. It's important we understand, it's, it's good. The word of God is good. It is a beautiful piece of music that the great conductor has composed for us. It is a wonderful, beautiful melody and symphony. It's why I want you to prize it. Not because you should, but because it's good for you. It's not, you know, Josiah wasn't like, oh, we've done the wrong thing. It was just, what fools we've been to not make the most of that. It's the book of God. It is a gift. It's the most precious gift. I think I might have said before, when King Charles was coronated, uh, for his powerful kind of service and, and the history of it all, he was presented with a whole load of valuable things, priceless things, you know, orbs and crowns and swords, which would be genuinely priceless. But when he was presented with the Bible, the minister rightly said to him, receive this book, 
the most valuable thing that this world affords. It's true. It is so good. It is a gift. King David says in Psalm 19, 9 to 10, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold. He had gold, this guy, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's a gift to all people everywhere, in every single era. It it transcends culture. It is a gift to the single parent, to, to the prisoner of war in any stage of history, to, to your colleague, to you, for your children, for the poor, for those who are struggling, for the wealthy. This is, again, as Anne was saying earlier, as she felt the picture of God. God says, come to the word, everyone, whoever you are, come to this word. It is good. And I, I, when I say it's good, I don't just mean like it's good like a good film, right? Oh, it's really good. No, you'll really enjoy it. It's a really good film, a really good book. You should read it. I mean it is good, it is right, it is trustworthy, even when we struggle to see that. It's good. If you, you, you know, read it for a week, read it for a, a little bit, you'll struggle with something in there. There's some unpopular stuff in there. And at those moments we grapple with it and ultimately trust that God knows better than us. But we don't just read the Bible thinking, do I like this? You know, am I enjoying this like I enjoy a good film? But, but mainly, do I trust this? Do I trust this to be true? This Bible contains the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's why it's good. It will do you good to read it. It is the means to hope and life and joy. That is ultimately why it's so sweet, because it contains the, the gospel. Why it's sweeter than honey. I don't know about other churches, but that's how we read it. We read it like it's good. We want to prize it. So how? Okay, there's some fair bit of stuff. It's the word of God. How do we do that? What does it mean for us in Grace Church for us to prize the Bible? What difference does it make to us that this is a core value um, and, and everything we believe about it? What does it, difference does it make? I mean, probably... You can figure it out. (laughs) If we think everything that I've just said, um, you you kind of hope, well, I guess it plays a pretty important role in everything that you do. I won't won't kind of go into loads of detail spelling it out. I think most of it's fairly obvious. If we think it is God-breathed, if we think it is the ultimate authority and that it is living and active, then you think, well, you're probably going to use it quite a lot um, and play a pretty, pretty big part in the life of Grace Church. Most obviously, we prize the Bible by ensuring that all of our teaching and preaching comes from the Bible. So, Sunday morning gathering like this one is an important part of Grace Church and uh, will always include preaching from the Bible. Sometimes we do that in various ways. Sometimes we are working through a section of Scripture, like summer, we're looking at some of the parables in the Bible and. Uh, in spring we were looking at the book of 1 Peter in the Bible sometimes we do it like that sometimes it might be a bit more thematic where you're kind of looking at themes which kind of ironically like the one I'm doing today I'm talking about the Bible uh, in in a thematic preacher rather than uh, working through a, a section of scripture but it is always and only ever taking authority from what the Bible says 
on any given subject. And uh, if I ever speak with authority, it's, it's never my own kind of, you know, as an elder of a church or whatever. It's always subject to this. It's this with this authority. I feel like we're free to speak with authority insofar as it matches up to what this book says in all that we are doing. Uh, and and I, it's important as well to clarify we're not just talking about this slot, this, I don't know, 35-minute slot on a Sunday morning to the adults Everything, all of the teaching and preaching in Grace Church with our kids in, in their kids' groups now, with our teenagers, with our young adults in our life groups is all taken from the Word of God. We will use other material, but that material always finds its source in the Bible. It is always subject to the Word of God. Beyond that, again, to kind of make a fairly vague comment, our understanding of everything comes from the Bible at Grace Church. What we think about all the other values that we'll be preaching through. And again, as, as we teach into them, we'll be doing it from the Bible. So prayer, fellowship, the Holy Spirit. What we think about all those things comes from the Bible. We want everything to be gospel-shaped. That's, that's last week's what I was talking about at Grace Church. And we want everything to be biblically based. But it's not just these kind of ten core values. It, it is everything. We want to be biblically informed and rooted in how we think about everything. So you think about kind of real life things. Divorce and remarriage. We, we understand what the Bible says on, those, on things like that. Important things. Healthcare. What's, what's the biblical perspective on such things? The environment. Church leadership. The, the, the Lord's Supper, communion. What's the biblical perspective? But, but everything, UFOs, What's, you know, dodgy concrete in schools. How do we think about those things? Biblically inspired. It, it, it is good, this book. And ultimately the question for us is not whether we like it, but whether we trust it. That is what we are thinking about. And if we don't like it, if we don't like some of the things it's saying, I'm not saying, well, tough, get on with it. It's not irrelevant that we are struggling with it, but it's not ultimate. What is ultimate is what it says and, and how we understand that. And we want to, in, in line with that, we want to prize it together, this, this word of God. Grace Church, when I say Grace Church, that includes, that really, that is us, right? It's not... Probably this can be said a few times, I think, through these weeks. It's not a few people up the front. It is us. We are the church. If you are a part of Grace Church, if you call Grace Church home, certainly if you're a member, you have a contribution in helping us to prize the Bible. You have a part to play in that. There will be times when we will struggle with things that it says. And again, it's not just, well, get on with it. We want to help one another through those. Well, let's see, does it, you know, what does it say? How can we see that this is good for us and trust God that it is good? We want to actually help one another in that, prize it together as part of doing that. And also I'd encourage you, I'd want you to hold us to account, hold me to account on it. Saying I don't like it 
you know, let's talk that through. But that's very different to saying, I actually don't think it means that. No, if you think, let's talk that out. I'd love, I love those conversations. <laughs> when someone says, oh, I'm really struggling with this. I think what you said, I'm not sure I see how you get that from the Bible. I'm more than open to those conversations. Let's talk it through. Let's value it together. We don't want to be unbiblical in any way, so let's open it together. Here's a practical way that you can do it. And again, I, this isn't kind of having a go, it's just a suggestion. On a Sunday morning, when we're preaching from the Bible, either bring a book or, or a, a device, but have it open throughout the time. Not Because we'll put it up when we read it, but then we'll put something else up probably. Um, but if you keep it open, you can check it. Check what we're saying. Hold us to account. Are we Again, I don't want to speak with authority into anything that we have not clearly got from the Bible. And if you can't see, how, are you, how have you got that from... Then, then think about it. Think about it for yourselves. And, and let's talk about it in those ways. It's not just me and the elders and everyone else, but it is everyone with everyone as we prize this word together. But the main way that you can contribute to Grace Church prizing the Bible is by prizing it yourself, by, by valuing it so yourself. So how can you do that? How can you prize the Bible? And uh, I bet you can guess the first thing I'm going to suggest. Most obviously, the way to prize the Bible is to read it. Read it. It's not the only way. I'll, I'll come on to that. But it's going to be hard to do it without reading it. You, it, we can easily forget we are all being shaped or discipled by something. We are. I mean, we're not as kind of independent as we think we are. We are being shaped by things that we consume, that we eat. There is a lot of food on offer in our world. A lot of it. And uh, mo- most of that information is accessed via this little guy, this, this smartphone device. Um, and it's not, you know, I've said before how it's a little idol that we stroke thousands of times every day. Um, and it, it's not that this is the worst enemy in everything, but don't, don't let that shape you. I'll you know, put it safely away in my pocket. I'm so conscious when I'm doing that. Um, it's right on me at all times. Um, I don't want to be shaped by it. You've got to read other things, and as if we read so much on there, then, then it will shape us more than we want. Make the Word of God your daily bread. Be discipled by the Bible and not your phone. Be discipled by God's eternal Word and not the latest Word on the street. It takes discipline to, to kind of make it your daily bread and say, read it. I don't just mean... You know, once, like, read a few bits. Make it your daily bread. And, and you know, it takes discipline. Lots of different ways. A chapter a day or something like that, whatever works for you. But think it through. How can you do it? How can you prize it um, and go to the source and not just listening to what other people say about it, but reading the word for yourself? Um, there is definitely more to it than putting your phone away. Um, but it probably is helpful to do that. Uh, it's what I'll do when I'm reading it. I try and kind of ensure I don't look at my phone before I go to the Bible. Because I know if as soon as I've looked at it, something will catch my eye. Um, it, it is going to take discipline. But that's simple. We must not get to where King Josiah got to. It is, it is too good 
to allow for that to happen, this Bible. And, and then another way for you to prize it is to trust it. Let's say this is, reading the Bible is not the only way. We can prize the Bible by trying to think about everything biblically. That's one way to do it. So whether or not you kind of got around to reading it in that morning, you can still through the day be thinking, what's the biblical, how can I think about what I'm going through um, biblically? I'll explain more in a sec. J.I. Packer says this. He says, um, he's a scholar uh, and someone who would believe that this is the word of God. He says, the authority of the scripture rests not simply on their worth as an historical source, a testament of religion and a means of uplift, real though this is, but primarily and essentially on the fact that they come to us from the mouth of God. Therefore, the real task for reason in this connection is not to try to censure and correct the scriptures, but rather, with God's help, to try to understand and apply them so that God may effectively censure and correct us. So we're not thinking, okay, well, how do I figure out me? How do I understand the scriptures based on what I already know and what I already think and how I express myself? Now, how do I figure out who I am via the scriptures? Interpret and view the world through the scriptures and not vice versa. So be ready. This, in the news recently, there's been a high number of tragic things happening, hasn't there? A lot of tragedy about. And uh, it's, they'll keep happening. God's not, it's not that he doesn't care about those things. He has a very much a perspective. Bad things will continue to happen. Power will continue to be abused. And we're going to hear it and read about it and talk about it. My encouragement would be don't let those things shape you and how you interpret the Bible, but do the opposite. Think about those things based on what you understand from the Bible. Interpret the world based on what you understand from this. Not this is happening in the world, so what do I make of the Bible? But the Bible says this, so what do I make of the world? Let it shape your identity, your ethics, your relationships, how you view everything. That is one way to prize it. And actually, I genuinely think you'll find it so refreshing to have one source. Oh, this is the source. In a world where it's kind of, well, which podcast shall I listen to today? And there's just endless options of, of opinions and things. It is so good to have, oh, this is, this is my, the thing I filter it all through. So you can listen to anything, but it's always subject to this. Let's help one another in it. As we read it and enjoy it and as we struggle with it, trust it. Meditate on it through day and night. Memorize it even, which is a great way to meditate on it. Great way to pray, just kind of try and memorize scripture. And be patient and expectant is the only other thing I'd say. Whereas you prize it, obviously you could talk for ages. Don't, we can be a bit superstitious, I think, when it comes to reading the Bible and just think, oh, I'll open it anywhere and, and see what God says. And, and, you know, God uses that sometimes. But, but generally, we need to take time with it. We need to be patient. Probably it will make less difference to most days than you would want. When you read it, it won't transform that day. 
if you read it in the morning. It would make probably less difference. But it will make more difference to, to a year than you would think, I think. You read it every day, it will make a big difference in your life for a while. You've got to be patient and expectant. Be patient and then expect. God will work through it as you value and prize the Bible. Reading and consuming what is in the scriptures brings hope into our lives. Uh, the, the thing that ultimately makes this book so good is that it all points to one person that you really need. I wonder if the band could come up. We're going to sing in a moment. And it's not you, by the way. It's not you that this all points to. It is for you. This, this book is for you, but it is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus and for you. It is about Jesus and it is for you. It is for your benefit to point you to him. He is the one that it is all about, this book. From the beginning to the end, it is all, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus as the one who, because of the gospel, is able to offer you hope and life and joy. Jesus can give those things because of the gospel, because he died for your sin, because he was raised to life. After he was raised, he uh, told his followers, it says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. It was always about him. But it was actually, it's only after the resurrection that Jesus would talk like this because he could now say, it, the job is done. Now you can see it was always about me. This book is, is not primarily, it's a, it's a bit, but it's not primarily about how to do life right. You can't, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that this morning. Read this, your life will be sorted, it'll be fixed. Because this book knows that you can't. Why don't we stand? I want to lead us into worship. I feel God's been speaking to us this morning again through just coming to the table, coming to the Word of God. This book is primarily not about how to do life right because it knows that you can't. It is primarily about the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells the story of how we were lost in dead we were in slavery unable to do life right but God reached down into our mud into our pit and he died for us to deliver us out of slavery and hopelessness and into freedom and hope it's not so we can get it right it's so that we can know that God says come even though we don't deserve to come this book teaches us that because of what Jesus has done for us and who he is God says come with your worries God knows you've got issues he's not asking you to sort them out and then come he says come with them because Jesus is the one who deals with it not you and it's this book that teaches us that glorious truth we pray you pray with me and then we're just going to sing and worship our saviour Jesus 
God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it is good. And I ask that you would help us to value it highly in our lives, individually and corporately. Would we prize the word of God? Forbid us from getting anywhere near where King Josiah got to. We believe it's too good. And we thank you for the glorious message that is contained in its words. The message of the gospel. That this book knows full well we're not going to cut it. It doesn't say, come on, get stronger. It says, I know you're weak. Like all of the other people in the book, bar one. It says, I know you can't sort yourself out. But don't come based on your righteousness. Come based on the righteousness of Jesus. That this message, this gospel bids us to come. I just feel God again just wants to underline you can come you can come into the presence of God as we were singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that is true he is holy and righteous we can't come into his presence on our own he knows that we can't come in our own right We come by the grace and mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore we come boldly. So God, I pray, help us to come boldly to you. Help us to make the most of all that you have done for us. Help us to value your word. Help us to value your presence. Help us to wonder in the joy of the gospel. Help us to be in awe that we can come to God this morning. As we lift you up, King Jesus, as we praise you, Help us to be aware of the beauty of your gospel contained in this book. We glorify you, King Jesus, the one through whom we have access to the Father. You are the way. You, Jesus, are the truth. And you are the life. And we come to the Father by you. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. Let's worship him.